Hello and welcome to Jumpstart Weekly, the weekly manga podcast where we read all the chapters available on Shonen Jump, as well as something else. I'm your host, Jeremy. And I'm your host, Kevin. And this week we read Volume 1 of Yu-Gi-Oh! Because it's something I used to like when I was a kid and I had a very bad, rough week, so I needed my safety blanket. I lost my safety blanket. That's sad. Don't worry, it comes back in like three minutes. Also, all the Shonen Jump stuff, which we're going to talk about now. We're not going to talk about all of it, though, if you've never listened to an episode before. just I was going to say just the good stuff, but actually it's a overall pretty solid week for Shonen Jump. Eh, Did you not think so? I thought it was at a very just above average level for a lot of stuff. I can see that for sure. So um, it's not like I, I disliked a lot of things. I was just kind of like, okay, yeah, we're like here. I had a rough week, and it colored a lot of my opinions on chapters. I think my jump card's going to be really weird from normal because of that. Gotcha. But, like, I think I've said this before, but Shonen Jump, like, the first American volume was literally my safety blanket when I was younger. Yeah. And the first chapter of Yu-Gi-Oh! was in there. Mm-hmm. So I definitely rereading that, like, brought back some strange memories. Gotcha. But before we talk about that, let's talk about Shonen Jump, starting with... Demon Slayer chapter 164 just overdid it a little. And I definitely kind of agree with you on this Demon Slayer chapter. This is the beat chapter that I mean it needs to happen. It's showing us what's going on and what the next fights are going to be, but there isn't really a whole lot of emotion to it and I really see your confusion with everybody looks the same with the guy fighting the upper moon rank one yeah i have no idea who that is yeah i don't and i like upper moon rank one looks like a guy who i should know who he is we have we have barely i don't actually i don't ever think you have seen upper rank one i don't think i have either also there's another character who i called curl girl because i'm pretty sure i've never seen her before no she's actually very easily recognizable she's one of the hashiras she's the beauty hush it's something weird i mean she definitely has a distinct character design yeah in contrast to that flaw we just brought up about demon slayer but like i'm like i'm pretty sure i never met this girl before i hope not you have not i have and the the rest of the readers have she's been one of the big not one of the big but she was she had her own big fight scene earlier on in the story her sword is actually really cool, is extremely flexible, almost like a whip, and she's the only person who can use it because you have to be perfect in order to not cut yourself with it, essentially, or, like, make sure it goes where you want it to. So she has this really interesting fighting style where she's actually, like, the physically strongest of all the demon slayers. She's fighting a person who can move buildings around, and while I've never read the beginning of Demon Slayer, that seems like a lot like what's going on in the anime right now. Yes. At one point, they actually kind of mentioned that, that because none of the other characters know her, but yeah. one of the demons remarks, it's like, oh, it's like her ability, but like worse. The upper rank four's ability is way more interesting because she can, she does this thing where she like opens a window and then the girl falls through where the window exits, which wasn't right next to one another versus the one guy in the anime could just kind of turn the house around. Yeah. Okay. It just very much reminded me of that. And also, like I said, I had a bad week, and I started reading Shonen Jump when I normally do, and about halfway through Demon Slayer, or actually not halfway, when I finished Demon Slayer, I'm like, oh no, I need to do this later. I am not in the mood for this. Mm -hmm. Like, I will just hate everything if I just read Keep going. Yeah. 
So Demon Slayer is very hard to rank, but I guess we have similar opinions on it. So Yeah, I, it's setting up a lot of fights, so it's not like it was particularly bad, but it's like these two people are fighting this one, and then this guy just found upper rank one, and Tanjiro and Inosuke have met up, and they're like, hey, we need to get healed up so that we can get back into the fight. Yeah, and I did really like the beat where they're like, hey, we need to carterize our wounds, and they have the little campfire. But yeah. Like I said, it just wasn't much. Which brings us to Black Clover Chapter 210 on the brink, which you wanted to talk about, kind of to my surprise. I did want to talk about it, and it's mainly for the explanation of Asta's sword that we have no idea what it does, which is shown in magic. Yeah, and I wasn't even really aware if it was Asta's sword in particular they were talking about, because it's Licked Sword, that I know Asta has Licked Sword, but yes. I couldn't tell if that was talking in reference to Asta's sword, or like Lick seems to make a metaphorical light sword, so I wasn't sure... I'm pretty sure they're talking about the one Asta has that he's like okay. not quite sure what it does. Yeah, and it's like friendship magic. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what it is. Like, Which... And that's why I wanted to talk about it was they were like, all right, so they're going super shonen with this. What's your new sword's powers? Well, it does shonen magic. I absorb magic and then use it for friendship. <laughs> I mean, I like that idea, but I like it a lot more th- when you say it than when I read it in the manga. Yeah. Because really, my impression of this chapter was like, God, this is Black Clover 100% on its bullshit. This is just like masses of drawn magic, and I have no idea what's happening. Yep. A lot of that is the fact that the magic that everyone else is fighting right now is that weird tentacle. No, it's not like tentacle. It's like Celia monster. Like uh, Celia? Celia. I don't know how you say it. I know what you mean. So it's just this like mass of maggots, but not really. They're like just straight cilia and they're just like flooding everything. And that's all that they're fighting at the moment, basically. So it's like, all right, here's this giant wall of stuff, which would probably look a lot better colorized. Like it still looks okay, but they're just fighting this like a flood, essentially. Yeah. It's like enveloping them and it's really weird. And like they're in different places, but I also found it hard to kind of remember slash track where everybody was. Yeah, so it's like literally they're in the middle of that weird dungeon room thing. It's just filling the entire place. Yeah, but I was like, who's together? Like, is this a cut or are these characters together now? Yeah, I think it's a cut because they have the one map of, I think it's Licked being like, I'll use my magic to protect them. And we see like a map of the rooms and beams of light shooting to the different rooms. So I think that's him going like, I'll protect you over there and you over there and you over there. I think. Yeah, I I was really unclear on what was happening this entire chapter. Really, the only reason I wanted to talk about the chapter was the Shonen shonen Magic Sword, and that was it. Which I should love, because I'm me, but I was literally just like, wait, is that his new power? Is that what the powers always had? I haven't read a lot of Black Clover, but that does not make sense with what I've... does not gel well with my interpretation of events. For Yeah, it's the third sword that he has that, like, absorbs magic, and he, like, does it, he's like, oh, it absorbs magic, and then they're explaining it absorbs magic, and then he can use it to basically empower his friends. So I'm guessing he's going to learn how to do that. Which is a very cool idea, but again, it just seems very info-dumpy to me. Yeah. And I read this chapter when I was feeling better. Yeah. No, this wasn't very high on my list. It was really just the, hey, look, Shonen Magic, here we go. Next, we have One Piece chapter 947, Queen's Gamble, which at least is back to what I expect of One Piece. 
the ending felt really rushed and kind of awkward, but I think that was for the joke. Yeah. It seemed intentionally rushed at the very least. Yeah. Even if I don't think it quite 100% landed. I, I thought it was pretty good. I do like the like last panel of Luffy being like, and now this is my training prison. Yes. It just like, uh, Chopper was able to walk here, so it seems like they should be fine being able to escape still. Yeah. Like, the way in which the wardens have locked the prison down didn't really make sense to me. I think what it was is they, like, shut all the emergency gates or something like that. Like, they essentially slammed all the portcullises closed. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like that's going to stop Monkey D. Luffy. No. Well, and I think, like, they were just thinking, oh, no, we need to stop the regular prisoners from escaping. And so that was a lot of the joke of, like, oh, right, you're actually still free. Yeah. Plus, we have the one guy. There's this one guy's like, hey, what about that one guy? Nope, no time. We got to go. Yes. It just seems like Luffy should be like, okay, I'm leaving. And now I'm going to beat you all up. Well, he literally just learned, sort of used his new power, so he's yeah. like, alright, time to perfect it. And also, it might be, I'm assuming that, because it's Luffy, he also might just be like, being like hey, let's go march on them now. Because we've already got hints that well, yeah, like, they're, they need troops, and now he's in a, you know, a political prison. Yeah, so I'm assuming that's also kind of what's happening, is he's going to get all the prisoners together for a prison break again. I... I'm not pulling a Frieza, and as soon as I get my new technique, going to use it out in battle against the main villain. I'm going to work on some mooks first, and then assemble an army and go attack him. And also, I 100% might have just missed this, so it's, this is a semi-legitimate question. Are Kid and his first killer, that's its name, still drowning in that? No. Okay. That happened last week. Did it when, Big Mom? When Big Mom punched... Them? Yeah, when okay. Big Mom punched Queen, she broke the stage that they were on as well as the, like, water pit that they were drowning in. I thought there was a pretty good chance that it had happened, but... Yeah, there's a there's a shot it. of... There's a shot of Killer and Kid with, like, water rushing away from them, and Luffy being like, oh, thank God. Yeah. Because he was still sitting there going, like, hey, those guys are still drowning, we need to do something about it. Yeah, I remember that, and I guess it, it really just felt awkward that we didn't touch on them this week. A little bit. Given how much of the plot was in the prison, all of it, actually. Yeah. And there were some major characters, like... At Ground Zero, sort of. Yeah. Uh, we haven't even talked about the major thing that happened, which is where the Brontosaurus jumps from a uh, DFA's Big Mom. Yes. Which brings her memories back, but also knocks her out. Brontosaurus Bomber. Yeah. So they are like, bring all of the sea stone yep. and tie her up. We're bringing her to Kaido now. Well, yeah. Shut the door. Last one out, get the lights. Yep. And Queen is like, ha ha, we succeeded. Because he was like, oh, Olin's acting like a wild animal, so she'll eventually come back here, and that's where we're sent up the Brontosaurus bomber. He's like, ha I took her out. And then she stands up, and she's like, what am I doing here? He's like, oh, crap. That didn't take her out at all. So I did like all of that. It just, like I said, not having Kid and Killer here just felt odd. And the ending, I do like, like the Luffy joke, but it also, like I said, just reads a little rushed, which, again, I think is mostly intentional. Yep. And another thing that will read fine in a volume. Yeah, and I think Kid and Killer are going, like, in the next chapter, or at least when we're dealing with Luffy. If... Yeah, I assume we're going to cut from the prison and yeah. come back, but I also think it will probably Cause I think... seem odd that they were not Yeah, the here. two of them are going to get up, and the ninja, or no, the samurai that's been imprisoned for 20 years or whatever is going to show up, I'm guessing. Yeah, and the ninja and caribou probably yes. do. Well, yeah, I'm assuming it's Raijin, right? Yeah. Raijin is going to show up and it's like, I got the key to the... <sighs> Damn it. So that brings us to We Never Learned Chapter 117. The Clockwork Fireflies Yearn for the Snow Flurries of X. Part 4? I didn't write it down. I'm pretty sure it's part 4. Yes. 
which I've been pretty down on this story, but I at least liked this. I'm pretty sure this is the conclusion. It uh, seems like it. I like this a lot more than the rest of the story, at least. Yeah. Because it focused on the characters and it didn't seem to be retreading. I mean, it's obviously bringing up some well, stuff like the, from the past, but it doesn't feel like we're getting the same information again. The first chapter was fine. Yeah, it's well, I had problems with it that were not really that chapter's fault necessarily. Yes. That I talked about then. That one just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And then two and three were really... Retreadium. Yeah. The third one really started to be like, okay, we can move on now. But anyway, the game that Yugiya has for Ogata is an essay that she thinks is about herself, but she realizes pretty quickly that actually it's about Fumino. Yep. And Fumino wrote it. And there's actually some really good staging in this chapter, which is kind of hard to explain. But like yeah. Fumino appears behind Ogata in a way that I can 100% like imagine happening in a movie or more likely the anime. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of really good stuff like that in this chapter. Yeah. And then before Ogata can kind of react to the essay about how Fumino is like, yeah, I always like admired my best friend and I wanted to be like her and I feel like I'm an awful person. Yeah. Because she's like doesn't take crap from anybody and I really admire it. And she's good at the math and my dad loves her more than me. Yep. Before Ogata can react, all the other girls show up. Well, before they show up, the one thing that I really liked about it was Fumino being like, Ogata, you're the reason that I am still doing this. Because when Kirisu sensei was like, no, you're not good at science. You need to focus on your your talents. I was going to say, okay, and just go with it. And Ogata was like, what? Screw you. I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. And like that really got Fumino of like, wow, this this short person is so bold and willing to be like, no, I'm going to stick up for my dreams. So anyway, everyone else shows up. Ureka has fried chicken because, and to quote, you can't have Christmas in Japan without fried chicken. It's a huge deal. It's I this- know, I know. It, KFC, if you don't, I'm, I don't mean to cut you off. Yes. But uh, it is important to the audience. So KFC launched a huge marketing campaign in the 80s in Japan around Christmas. And so now... Kentucky Fried Chicken specifically, but fried chicken in general is what you eat on Christmas in Japan. Yes. KFC made it look like that's what Americans had for Christmas, for that specifically for that campaign. So the Japanese really got into it. And now it's just very funny that you have KFC for Christmas in Japan. Yeah. What I wanted to talk about that line, though, is I really wonder, and it got me thinking about a lot of the translations in later chapters and in Yu-Gi-Oh! Was the original line just, you can't have Christmas without fried chicken? Like, is that an editorialization for the American audience? Or is that the actual line? She's like, it would be like, you can't have Christmas in America without Santa Claus. Yeah. Which I, I know is not exactly one to one, but. No, I could honestly see her, uh, like, even in Japanese, basically saying the, the same thing of like, hey, we can't have a Christmas celebration without fried chicken. Like, so I brought it kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, I'm just wondering about the exact wording there. So anyway, they all play one of Ogata's grandma's game, which is all about friendship. Yep. It's like the game of life, sort of. I find it to be more like Quelf or something, except like not as raunchy as Quelf. Yeah. Which is odd for we never learn. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but Ogata feels better about herself and she admits that she lost. Yep. And we have the thing of, so the reason that her grandmother started being more distant was she was like, hey, Ogata, you love these games. Why don't you play with friends? Well, I don't want to play with friends. I want to play with you. And so she was like, I started, she essentially lied to Ogata to push her away because somebody makes the comment, oh, this is so much fun with all these, with a bunch of people. Like the game was built to be played with a group of friends, not just two people. 
And so I really like that moment where Ogata's like, grandmother, you lied, and then has that flashback. And we see it from the grandmother's perspective of, no, Ogata, I don't want to play with you anymore. And she's like crying because she's not... She's not yelling her, but no, she's not like we don't want you anymore. But yeah, she but is that's like... that's basically what she's doing. She's like, you need to go have fun with your friends, and you're not listening to me. So I have to, I have to distance myself from you to force you to, do to it. force you to make friends. Yeah, which obviously didn't work. But it just took a while. I guess that's true. Posthumous victory. Yes, but like I said, I had a really bad week, and this really helped turn it around. Yeah, this was a good conclusion to this arc. Which brings us to Act Age Scene 71, Day 2. You're more the Act Age guy than me. I think we both kind of like it. Yes. I think you're more into it than I am. So what did you think about this chapter? I still really liked this chapter. So it is definitely not going to the... <laughs> the anime extremes you the, were kinda the hoping? kind of hoping? I was really hoping that it was the anime extremes, but it's still the writer slash director... Being like, you need to have that feeling that you can act like you can, you're a Princess Iron fan and can control the elements. And there's this great sequence where it's like, oh, she, she's dancing and it looks like she's controlling the flames because the flames are moving like her. But really, all she's doing is she's letting the wind guide her dance moves. So, because the wind is blowing the fire and blowing her, they are kind of mimicking one another. And I just, I really liked that. Yeah, I liked that bit too. I also liked, like, cutting to the actor guy whose name I can't remember. You didn't write down. Yeah. Um, and hit, and the kind of producer who Yunagi hates just be like, yep, you're going to be super disappointed tomorrow when she comes back. Yep. And I don't really know what his game is, but. He's, he's kind of the antagonist, it seems like. But he's the antagonist in the fact that, like, he just wants to use K to make money, well, essentially. Yeah, but he also wants K to succeed. So that he can do that. That's so why he's he's like the antagonist. It's like, I want Kate to succeed, but not for herself, for me. I understand so that. So, like, I want my pawn to do well so I make money, and she will, like, I don't care if she's happy or not kind I, of thing. I just don't get why he's not kind of counting on her. Or, like, I guess I assume he thinks she can do it. I assume him saying that is kind of a ruse. Yeah. So I don't know what, like, his game is there. Yeah, I, I, what I'm saying. I think he's trying to lower the, essentially lower the expectations. expectations of the actor guy is okay. really what he's going for. That's I also like that he's doing Zen meditation in a chair, and he, I, it's very true. He's like, I'm doing Zen meditation, but you're sitting in a chair. Zen is a state of mind, which it is. You can do Zen meditation in a chair. It's just weird. Yeah. Anyway, the one part of the chapter that I didn't like, handing it off to you might have sounded like I didn't super care for this chapter. And I did like it, especially for most of the points you bring up. Mm -hmm. But it definitely ends with the one thing that really bugs me about Act Age, which is it's starting to rain on the mountain. And Yunagi's like, no, I promised that after three days I was coming back. I have to come back. The director's like, but the right, the mountain's super dangerous in the rain. She's like, no, I have to. And she's like, oh, actors are such dangerous creatures. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I roll. Like, I get what the metaphor's going for, and I do believe there's a lot of power in acting, but both, like, in stage and also in just day-to-day -day life, fake it till you make it sort of things. Yes. Well, um, I also think she was thinking actors are such dangerous creatures in the fact that it's like, oh, God, she's method acting herself to death because she's trying to become Princess Iron Fan. Like, please, no mountain storm can stop an immortal like me. You're, you're not immortal. Please don't walk down the mountain in this rainstorm. I definitely get that. I just, like, it's the one thing about this series that makes me, like I said, roll my eyes every yep. time. 
I'm starting to not hate it as much. It was weird. I think we chose a bad point to start when we started oh, we reading again. Because we, it was that soon, other actor. Yeah, and as soon as like Unagi was the main character again, and we got a story to get our hooks into, we started yep. to really like it. Yeah. I 100% agree with that. But like that is a trope of act age that I think would have bugged me, even if we'd started from the very beginning. Yeah. Well, I technically did, but I read I the first mean. three chapters and then jumped in like 20 later or something like that. But speaking of something we have started from the beginning with, next we have The Last Sayuki, Chapter 17, Stasis, which kind of cuts over to Furuka and what he was doing the entire time that they were fighting the disease dog. Yep. Which I kind of didn't get that that was all of the diseases together because they'd made it seem like they were all spread out. And I thought that was just a group of them. But in this chapter, we find out that they've basically defeated it now. Yes. And it's focusing a lot on Faruka and the follower of chaos he's fighting is like, yeah, to like attain the perfect human form, you have to get rid of emotions. Yep. So like what's holding you back right now is that you're like compassionate for your student. Yep. And like, yes, it was tactically the correct decision to send her back, but that's not why you did it. Yeah. And also we find out that he took a cell in basically after her mom died because he realized that, oh, like her mom basically lost her powers because of her love for her daughter. Yeah. Because she was like too emotional and not close enough to the true human form. Yeah. She should have been able to beat that monster, but couldn't. Yeah. I really liked the moment of Faruka talking to himself. So this is all like a men- internal monologue where he's like, no, I took her in because yeah. it was a good decision. And it's like him basically telling myself, I don't love her. I don't love her. I don't love her. I don't love her <laughs> over and over again as he's explaining this thing. But I love like the image in the background, which is just them like bonding in a parent daughter way. Yes, and it's, I, like being super clear. Yeah, it was what's actually going on. Yeah, so I I really love the I don't love her, I don't love her, I don't love her. Like trying to tell himself to be like, no, I I can't have emotions, even though it's like clearly I have emotions. Yeah, and he decapitates the chaos follower dude, but that doesn't kill him because basically his body is basically an entirely a Niobu. Yep, he shoots. A Niyobu out of his eye, and a headless body catches him and then sticks him on his head. And I was like, ooh, nice save. And it's like, I'm looking forward to fighting you again, maybe when you give up that kindness. Yeah. And he's like, well, you guys win, but technically the story I, like, did was fulfilled, so. Yep. And, like, then we get the bit where he's like, I don't love her, and he's like, I'm just praising her because she exceeded my expectations as a student. I didn't yep. think she could do this, and she did. Yeah, he's like, oh, this is just something a good teacher would give to his underling, Yeah, essentially. I, like, I'm not praising her because I love her. And I, what I find really interesting, and I don't know if this is intentional or not, because I like Last Sayuki, I think it's going to be explored in the future, but maybe it is kind of a weird hole, is how this works juxtaposed to, like, Estelle's whole deal, which is that, and like, she's not the only character like this. She's just the one we focused on that and most likely the one we'll keep focusing on that is mm-hmm. where she's like basically cloaked herself in stories to make herself more powerful and like in, to do that fake it until you make it sort of thing. And that's like the opposite of being emotionless. Like I stories think, are all about bringing out emotions. I think what what that might be is like kind of levels of power thing. Like at the beginning, you have to cloak yourself in the emotions of stories, which aren't your emotions in order to fight the monsters, but then when you get closer to the human form, you need to let all of that slough away, and, like, that's how you attain the next rank of being a Nyobu master kind of thing. Or, like you said, they might explore more into it, because I feel like we're going to have Ryunosuke and Kohaku 
are going to be like, what? No, emotions are super important. You guys are idiots. I mean, that seems like the obvious way to go, right? Except for that we've already seen, like, when they fight together, they're way more emotionless than normal. And we also know from the first chapter and also have been told that, like, Kohaku is going to open everybody's moo. Yeah. I wonder if that's related to them losing their emotions. And I just wonder, I don't think it's actually a plot hole. It's not plot up or addressed here. It's just something interesting that I noticed while reading the chapter. It, it how might strong a contrast. It is, yeah. That and is. It, it might actually not be a plot hole at all. It might be something like you said, that comes up later that like e- maybe even Rianosuke brings up was like, okay, so you keep telling us that we're supposed to be emotionless to become the perfect human form. Yet everyone cloaks themselves in stories to garner emotions, to be able to fight monsters. Which one is it? Yeah. And so the chapter ends with a bunch of denouement stuff. They have to re-energize everybody on the island. And there's actually a really good joke where he knows, he's like, are we going to have to kiss everybody? And Baruch is like, I do not know what you're talking about. Yes. Well, it's not. Ju- yeah. I, he literally says, I don't understand that reference. Yeah, it was kind of like both Kohaku and Ryunosuke being like, are we going to have to kiss everyone? No, they just make medicinal curry. Yes. He was like, curry was actually a medicinal thing to begin with. Oh, also, the next arc is going to be the Obon Festival. Obon Festival, that's which it. Which is a real holiday. Yes, I, I assumed it was, but it's like, oh yeah, the next arc, we're going to have a festival arc. Which is celebrated in July in Japan and Denver. It's hmm. a Buddhist holiday. It's okay. basically, it's kind of like Halloween. The spirits of your dead ancestors visit your home. Okay. It's uh, celebrated later in the year in China. So um, it's more like Dia de los Muertos yes. than Halloween. Yes, that's 100% what I meant. Those are just really mixed in my head because cultural appropriation, yay! Even though they're, you know, one's in May and one is in October. Yes. Cultural appropriation, yay! Listen, nothing about Halloween. Like, you get visited by spirits because I saw, like, the Dresden Files thing. It's when all of the immortal beings put on masks and just wander around the mortal world. So the reason that you're nice or you have to be wary of everyone is you don't know if the person you're talking to is like a god. But yeah, well, Asayuki's still pretty good. And speaking of that, that brings us to the Promised Neverland, chapter 140. I'm here. Yep. Which also I thought was a very good chapter of Promised Neverland. Yes. I didn't really like the beginning of it. Are these demon characters we've seen before? Like, do you have any frame of reference for these guys? I think... They are the heads of the families that we were that we saw roughly recently? introduced to. Because they mentioned Bayon and the one exiled guy that Norman's talking to us. So I'm assuming they're at least high up in the noble factions. So they might be they might be introducing kind of like introducing these characters for Norman's assault on the capital. That's what I assumed it was going to like lead into. Yeah. But it doesn't this chapter, and I just found it real hard to sympathize with these characters, like or have a frame of reference for them. Yeah, I think they're all the heads of the noble families, so we're not really supposed to sympathize with them. Although I did like the guy that was like he doesn't realize that the one guy got exiled as like yeah. a political strategy. He's like, That guy was so intelligent. I can't believe he turned into a wildling. And he's he's basically like, That guy would have been a way better leader than who we got. Yes. Which is interesting. I do like the like demon, like not revolution, but political, noble, like conspiring. I like that idea. Yeah, there's some cool stuff in there, and I also like that they're they're hinting that that one noble that was like that guy would have been a better leader. That guy might also not be a total asshole. Like, yeah. not all of the demons are evil monsters. Yes, and I like all those elements. I just like I said, had a real hard time getting into this part of the chapter. Yeah, but then we cut back to Emma and Ray, and I was super into that stuff. And Ray's like, yeah, it's probably a black hole or like a wormhole. 
crap, if it's a black hole, just by being near it, Norman, like, time might be fucked up, and Norman might have already succeeded on his invasion. Yeah, and it's like, if we touch it, we'll be sucked into it and die, but he's like, no, we have to touch it, that's, like, the only logical conclusion. And I do like where he's finally like, okay, I just have to stop overthinking this. And as somebody who has anxiety, I can sympathize with that tremendously. Yep, so him and Emma touch the black hole, and then we cut to Ray waking up in the hideout with the rest of the Gracefield escapees. And he's like, like, you, down on there, what day is it? Yeah. (laughs) Basically, because he's like- I haven't missed it! Yeah, well, he has that moment of, you know, like, oh crap, how long have I been gone? Was there time dilation? What happened? Yeah. And then we get the really cool Evangelion bullshit ending. Yes. Where Emma is now, like, in... It's not a, a waterfall or a lake isn't accurate, but like a... It's that, like, it's that sky lake that anime does sometimes where yeah. it seems to be, like, an infinity pool made of rock super high in the air. So you essentially, you just look around and you're like, I'm standing on essentially nothing and everything looks the same. Like, it looks like sky... I'm standing in the middle of a skybox, even though I'm, like, on a pool of water. Yeah, and the demon without a name, or I guess whose name can't be pronounced, who's a symbol. I guess it can be pronounced because Emma says it. Yes, but we don't know what it is. Yeah. Shows up, and also he's, like, kind of shifting around. It looks like he's getting younger to match her, but it's a little hard to tell given demon physiology. It might just be a weird time thing, because he That's definitely it. does get he definitely does get younger, it looks like. It gets shorter. For at, sure. At the very least, yeah, he does get smaller, but it, it looks like he gets younger, too. And Emma's like, oh, God, where's Ray? He's like, yeah, don't worry, he's safe. He's at the base. He couldn't quite make it. He didn't quite realize that walls are actually around people and they're bullshit and everything's like Evangelion the way you could. Yep. He was like, he was uh, close. He, he actually, he did figure it out. He just couldn't quite, like. He couldn't believe. Get over, yeah. Yeah, he was like, he was too stuck inside his box. He couldn't open himself kind of thing. Well, but, yeah, which is, again, is why I'm thinking Evangelion. Because as far as I can tell, they're now part of the primordial ooze together. Yes. And she's like, and, but you could. Man, your brain looks really yummy. Yep. So what did you come here for? <laughs> yep. And she's like, I came here to make a new deal. Yeah. So, yeah, really strong ending, even though I thought the beginning was a little... Lackluster isn't even the right word. I just had trouble getting my hooks into it. Yep. And that leads us to Yumi Camille Let's Lose Chapter 16, It Will Be Glad, which I wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. So what did you think of this? Because we're kind of opposite from Act Age in that I'm way more into this series than you are. And I wouldn't even say I'm super into it. It's just one of the most interesting ones. I'm starting to get interested in what's going on. As I'm realizing, I'm like, there's barely any comedy in this at all. Yeah, it's done a complete 180. Which is interesting when we're talking about Yu-Gi-Oh! this week, which is a series that did a similar thing. But yeah, like last week there was a joke about how there wasn't a boob joke. And this week, not only is there no comedy, like Yui Kamiyo's bust is drawn more conservatively, which is a really weird thing to notice. But like, it's just, I think, because it's being taken more seriously by the artists. So yeah, I'm just, I'm wondering if this is like a editorial thing. Well, it almost has to be, right? Yeah, if they were going like, listen, the comedy angle isn't working, let's change it in a different direction. Like, maybe he was going to work in the supernatural element always, but they were like, listen, the comedy's not landing, let's, like, hammer the supernatural element down, because that's also a big thing in Japanese culture. Yes. Is, like, the yokai ghost stories stuff, so maybe that's what they're 
they're going to be focusing on. And it is a little sad because this is a lot more generic shonen stuff, but also just the change is very interesting. Yeah. Because this is almost a horror story. It's definitely it's, more than a comedy story. Yeah, it's really close to a horror story. And I mean, and it, it also has like a shonen element of, because she's Yui and White the entire time, the next chapter could start with her like chain falling off and it could go total shonen action yep. if they want to go that direction or they could keep a horror element to it. But especially the ending and the beginning. Yep. The bookends are both very, very, like I said, horror, cli- not even cliche, but horror steeped. Yes. Also, it's they feature creepy Japanese dolls, which, again, I wonder, in the original, did they specify these are creepy Japanese dolls or, like, oh, you know, just those creepy dolls you see at the store? No. I don't know. And, again, I'm not knocking the translation at all. I'm pretty sure it's creepy Japanese dolls. They like just that. don't look Japanese to me. Like, I mean, they do. They look like they're of Japanese women, but they could be Russian dolls. If you call them creepy Russian dolls, I would believe it just as much. It wouldn't be like a jelly donut situation. No, but I do think they actually make those dolls in Japan, and there's it's a lot of kids find them creepy, so that built the ghost stories thing around it. Just like the creepy Russian dolls, like adults are like, oh, they, you know, I really like this, the craftsmanship in this, but little kids get really scared of them because they there's that like uncanny valley thing to them. So it's probably some folklore ghost story thing with them. So anyway, the chapter starts with Yui's two friends who we've never met before and this weird new shop of horrors that just popped up. They see this doll and it basically explodes and injures one of their eyes. Yep. After we see the doll's eye be injured. Yep. Then they have a new transfer student in school. Yep, and there's a there. I guess the one joke, and I actually thought it landed okay. It wasn't like laugh out loud funny, but like for a random manga joke, it was fine. Is that Kito is sitting like in the spot next to Yui because it's vacant, but then the transfer student shows up, and the teacher's like, "Sit next to Yui, Camille. Her The seat next to her is blank." And Kito's like, well, "I'm here," and she's like, "Go back to your class. <laughs> this is not where you're earning." Yep, and so he jumps on the bookshelf, and he's like, "I'll sit here then." Yeah. Which, again, it wasn't laugh-out-loud funny, no. but it was fine. It worked as a comedy beat. So, the new student named Hanako and Yui, like, don't become friends exactly, but they quickly start to click together. Yep. And Yui's just like, oh, I'm just kind of freaked out because of this weird fortune-telling thing that happened. She's like, oh, fortune-telling? I know all about that. I'm not creepy at all. I'll show you after school. Yep. And she kind of doesn't reinterpret the fortune exactly, but she goes through it again. Yep. And she's like, yeah, so there were these Mushi, which were basically like demons that possess people. And there used to be Mushi hunters, but not anymore. So if there was a Mushi hunter, all the Mushi would probably team up immediately to try to murder them. Yep. Which puts Yui in an interesting and weird light, because last chapter it definitely seemed like like inner Yui, for lack of a better term, yes. was a Mushi. Of some sort, maybe but they seem to be reversing that here, and it's a but it's ambiguous enough that it could be that the creepy doll lady is a mushi hunter trying to murder her, or I, it could be the opposite, which I think is the more likely. I think it's the situation. opposite, and the reason that she was shown that mushi card, the weird tentacle thing, is like you're going to be attacked by mushi because inner Yui and Black is a mushi hunter, yes. and they're going to be coming after you, and that's where the series is going to shift. That's what I am assuming, too, but there's just been some weird ambiguity stuff. Yes. That makes me not 100% sure. And I think a lot of that is this editorial shift into the very serious nature yeah. of the manga instead of the comedy shift, so it's probably like we're just getting really mixed signals of like, so are they, uh, is that actually what they're going for, or is that just like because it's he feels kind of rushed 
to like try and get story elements and like, oh crap, I gotta make this a uh, horror shonen manga as opposed to a comedy manga. Yeah, and the series almost certainly has to be on the chopping block, so he's gotta be kind of desperate. That said, it's worked for series like Yu-Gi-Oh! and Yu Yu Hakusho in the past. Yu Yu Hakusho, one of my favorite series of all time. Yeah. Maybe this could end up being really cool. It's so just I'm... interesting to see it like in real time for the first time. Yeah. And like I said, I was already kind of on Yui Kamiyo's side. I'm a little sad that it lost its initial tone because I wanted it to become good instead of become something else. But it's still really interesting to, like I said, go through. Yep. Which leads us to Samurai 8, Chapter 8. Take it slowly. Did you like this chapter more than last week? I know you were starting to get uh, annoyed with Hachimaru, which is pr- fairly fair. That It was specifically the way he was acting at the time. But yeah, I did like this chapter a lot more. Like his his impatience, because there's still a little bit of that in this, but his impatience didn't come off as quite as annoying. It was like last chapter, it felt like he was slapping his sensei in the face repeatedly. And this time I was just like, all right, he's just being the young impatient brat. That's fine. It wasn't like a literal slap in the face. Ironically, I think I like this chapter less, although there's a lot of like good craft in it. In particular, we find out that Anne's name is basically Alpha and Omega in Japan, yep. in addition to being the English name Anne. It's one of those unfortunate things where they have to explain the pun to us, but you can't really get around that. I can't think of a way to have done it better. Yeah. And also, the chapter starts and ends. Like, There's a big deal about how Anne is like the start of things and the end of things, but the chapter starts and ends with the space opera stuff. Yep. Which is not like unusual for Samurai 8, but that like really struck me as a nice touch. Mm-hmm given the core of this story. That said, I really liked Anne's personality previously, and I still like the character, but she's just acting very, very Sindere in this chapter and a lot more cliche than she has before, which is not really a direction I super like for her. Yeah, and it might change, because she is acting very nice, and I think she might be putting on airs, which I realize is a lot of the Sindere thing, but she's kind of putting on airs because Hachimaru's here, because she's like very nice to... The cat sensei. I I did love the bit where she was like, I'm actually a pretty good cook. And she makes this like bubbling slop and they're like, uh, and they start eating. It's like, this is actually really good. Yeah, I just, that was actually a thing I was going to bring up too, because I like that as you said it there, but I felt like the art on the bubbling slop in comparison to like her flower arrangement last week, it's not very good artistry. Like it looks like it could just as easily just be soup. Yeah. It doesn't immediately look repulsive to me. Yeah, I they didn't go with the traditional thing of like adding the stink lines and you can see like various weird bits of something in it that traditionally shows like, oh my god, this looks horrible and poisonous. Again, that's usually a color thing. Like they make it like that super viscous purple looking goop and you're like, no, that's poison. Yes, but also Food Wars can do it without color. Yes. So I know it can be done. Yeah, but I'm not going to fault the Naruto guy for not being able to. Well, he's not drawing it. So. Yeah. Still, the guy, the, the, the guy drawing, drawing in that style. Gotcha. And that's when Anne is like, with nobody watching when they like it, she's like, yes! And that's what I found so Sundari about her. It's like, up front, she's like, oh, nah, blah, blah. Well, but even then, she was really just Sundari to Hachimaru. That's she's, true. She even tells the cat sensei, and that's when he goes the through the explanation of her name, of like, I'm actually, like, I had never done it before, so, like, I wasn't very confident in myself, so she was kind of putting on that air of, like, hmm, well, I don't care about you, and I think a lot of that is because Hachimaru has kind of been an ass to her. That's true. I just, like I said, struck me as a bit weird. Yeah. When I liked her so much before. Not even weird, but more cliche than she's been 
so far. Mm-hmm. So last but not least, we have Food Wars, the Le Dessert, Chapter 1, Le Present, which is, hey, we have the answer to if we're going to get the rest of Food Wars yep. here, and we are, which is nice and exciting. Yes. Especially since I really like this chapter. Yeah. I've had a little while to come to grips with the fact that Food Wars is ending, which I think has helped. Yep. But like I, at the time, I was kind of shocked, and there was a list of things. I'm like, I still want to see this and this. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like a lot of that showed up here. Yeah. Plus, they had that awesome two-color page <laughs> spread. Yeah, there was that. They introduced this new series to Jump Giga with a two-page color spread of some of the girls from Food Wars enjoying dessert. Yes. You know, like they do in Food Wars. Yeah. Which, I mean, I don't want to dwell too long on that. There's a weird thing where some of the characters seem to be experiencing it like they're doing a nude pinup, and others like they're just eating dessert. Yeah. Like, Todoroki on there just looks to me like she just had a piece of cake, whereas Arena looks like she's like, oh my god, I'm naked. Yes. Which is a bit odd, but, I mean, it's just fan service. I mean, listen, the, the man went from drawing porn to drawing I, food look, porn. and he's very good at it, and I appreciate it. It's just, usually it's for at least some story purpose, and this is the most self-indulgent that I've seen it. Yeah, but it's also an introduction to the yeah. new, and this is a- like, hey, this is off. the epilogue. Yeah. yeah. I'm not like, oh, this was awful, but. Yeah. I did have to stare at it for a while to consider all the artistic points. But I really like the chapter after it, especially the fact that Soma just isn't in it at all. Spoiler. Other than that introduction. Yeah. Because he's dominated Food Wars to like if there's one big criticism I have of Food Wars, it's how much he's dominated it when so many of the side characters are as or more interesting than him. Yep. So the fact that he's just gone and they have a lot more room to breathe is really nice. Mm-hmm. I don't super love how much Arena is clearly obsessed with him with him gone, but also it does seem true to the character in a lot of ways. Yeah. That, like, as soon as he gets back, she's going to go back to being her hottie self. Like, in contrast to me complaining about Anne being Sundari. Yep. Like, Arena seems like she's, one, matured, but two, like, with Soma gone, is thinking more and more about him. Yep. So it takes place one year later. They're all starting their third year, and specifically the Fall Classic is starting again. Yep. And this time they're putting it on as opposed to participating in it. Yep. We also get a flashback to how Erina won the blue. We don't actually see how, but we find out she won. She got a big trophy. Soma got this tiny little second place trophy. Yep. And there's this amazing note that we see from six months ago with a little picture of Soma. So you know he wrote it. It just says, I'm going to train. Probably overseas or something. It'll be a couple months. Yep. <laughs> Which is super Soma and pretty much amazing. Yes. I'm, that's, that's totally a Goku move, too. Yeah. I'm going to go train. When are you going to be back? Eh, when I'm done. <laughs> See you later, guys. You have a family to take care of. Nope. Can't. Training. <laughs> to be fair, at least Soma does not have that. No. Yes, you're right. And I am lying because we do see Soma in that flashback. And we also see a bit where he's like, Dad, I'm not, I've got only got second place. I'm not good enough for the diner. And Joey Chiro is like, actually, yeah, you're like way more than good. When are you going to show up and take over so I can relax? I must train harder. I'll start from square one. No, I think you're good. I'll see you later, Dad. No, seriously, <laughs> I want to retire. Get back here. Which, yeah, it's, you know, it's good food worth stuff. Yep. We have Alice with long hair. Which I do like, except for it makes her look exactly like her cousin. And yep. I think that's intentional, but it's also a little weird. Luckily, most of the dialogue, it's very clear who's who. It's just when I first saw her on a page turn, it was a little confusing before I read her dialogue. Yep. 
And like all your favorites are back to judge the fall classic. Rindo and why can't I think of the old first seat's name? Subasa. Subasa. That sounds right. It's and, like Subasa or Sukasa. I don't remember exactly. And the second year council members, yep. Chinese food guy and ramen guy. And yep. also Coach Master, who was actually the one I was like, just yesterday thinking, man, I really want to see him again. It's really too bad that Food Wars is ending without him showing up one more time. And bam. Yeah, and there he is. And I'm like, ah, oh, cool. Yep. And he's like, I'm too hoity and French for this comedy. Yeah, well, I, I also love he was like, the only reason I'm here is because I needed to work with Shinomiya's Tokyo. By the way, you two are going to help since you're also here. They're like, okay. I didn't want to see you, Baka. Yep. And we also find out Soma kind of sent waves through the culinary industry, and now they're, Totsuki is accepting a lot of, like, diner applicants. Yeah. Like or, like, family who- restaurant applicants. Like, all right, maybe because Soma, even though he only got second place, it was like, yeah, but he got second place in the blue, and he's some scrub <laughs> from a diner. Yeah. And Aaron uh, is like, yeah, I started accepting more and more of them, because when Soma gets back, I want him to, like, be proud of the school I have here. Yep. Which is, like I said, she's fawning over him a bit, but it's a nice touch. And yep. I like that Todoroki is kind of like her second secretary now. Yes. Like, she goes in, and she's like, so, Erin, it's about time for your appearance at the Fall Classic. And she's like, can you believe I sent him another email and he didn't even respond? Yep. And it's like, he's like, well, it is so much. It's like, oh, of course you would take his side. Yep. And Todoroki invites Erina to a big dinner at the Polar Star Dormitory, which I imagine is just like super favored now that like the entire council lives there. And Erina, I presume, is hanging out there. Yep. Like once a week. Well, so it's back to the old school yeah. days where we had the flashbacks of like, I had like half the council of 10 living in the dorm. So everyone wanted to come hang out. Yeah. And I like that they have like a bunch of underclassmen who all look up to Soma. Yep. And Alice is like, yeah, there's a trend among a lot of them that they just, like, wear bandages around their wrists. like it's Soma. bandanas. Or, not... Yes, you're right, bandanas. I don't know why I said bandages. And then Alice pokes Ryu <laughs> and is like, some of them are wearing flame-patterned ones. How do you feel about that? He's like, whatever. It's like, I'm too cool to care. Yes. And Aaron is like, I'd love to come, but actually I'm cooking for my mom tonight. Which, again, is, like, a cool, like, way that that resolved, even if we didn't get to see the end of the blue. Yep. And Joichiro's there, too. Yep. And she's like, hey, how did you meet your wife? I've always meant to ask you. He's like, well, it's a long story. It'll probably take at least one chapter of manga. So that's uh, where we end. So next time, the story. So yeah, I really liked it. We've only not had Food Wars for a week, and that was a long enough for me to really miss it. Mm-hmm. And this was really precious, since we know how much how little we're getting. They're slowly weaning it, us off of it. We're going to not have any more for a month. Yep. But I really like this chapter. It was everything I wanted to see. In a lot of ways. Not everything, but it's very much an approach I was hoping for, but done better than I'd hoped for, mm-hmm. which is about the best you can ask for. Gotcha. Did you, I feel like I dominated the conversation, so did you have anything you wanted to add? Nothing to add, no. Okay. Well, that will bring us to Jump Cart, then.
So jump card is the segment where we rank all the chapters we read from worst to best, and we have 18 this week. So what do you have at the bottom, Kevin? At the bottom, I have Haikyuu, because I was just kind of bored. Unfortunately, that's very much the status of Haikyuu, but my last, my number 18, and I just solidified it when I got the message from you, is Black Clover. Because it was just like so such muddy art in this that I just really didn't like enjoy it at all. Gotcha. I found it super hard to follow. Even like I said, that bit about a friendship sword should be one hundred percent my jam, and I just did not care. Yeah, I didn't find the art muddy at all, even though they were fighting essentially a flood. But it was the friendship sword that really pushed it up for me. My number seventeen was Tokyo Shinobi because it was like, all right, so. The guy actually had some hidden backups, but he was like, all right, cool. And you memorize the whole thing, right? Cool. I'm going to EMP pulse the building. It's like, uh, don't don't other people work here? Like, are, aren't you a terrorist now, essentially? Feels like he always has been. Like, Tokyo Shinobi Squad. Like, I don't know. It's a mess. It's a train wreck. And I'm just like, I want to, I don't want to protect it exactly. That's not it. I don't like it either. But there's a degree to which I want to tell it to take a shower and put on some nice clothes and get a job. Yeah. I also want to tell it to stop copying those popular things because we literally have that one villain from Naruto who can control his bone density. Yeah. And it's like, it's that dude. Like, that's a cool idea, but you could have at least used it slightly differently than the guy. I was like, oh, yeah, I just project them out of my body. And what I was really thinking about when that guy showed up wasn't even, oh, this is Naruto. It is. You're right. But it's like we just get a like little like indented de- in a description of his powers. And the one thing we both like about this series is its setting. Yep. And it just seems not to want to engage us with the story at all. Everyone has the same powers that they get from these weird scrolls. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, oh, all it's going to be is just like uh, explaining a quirk. Oh, yeah. So he has this scroll gives you X power and it takes X many years to acquire. But it just makes everything so boring because it's not like. Like, we make fun of Goku sometimes, and by we, I mean our circle of friends, for how he just copies other people's attacks. Yeah. But that is at least an interesting thing that just can't happen in this setting. Yeah. Yeah, I, just, I mean, it's, I have it a little higher than you, because like I said, there's a bit of sympathy I have for it. My number 17 is actually Jujutsu Kaisen, because I feel like I missed five chapters, and I'm sure these are just characters I'm not as familiar with. So it's a little higher for me as well. It is a flashback to, so Gojo Sensei is the blindfolded dude, the super powerful one. Uh And so it's when he was in school, essentially. Okay, that's much more interesting. It took me me a while to figure that out because I was like, wait, did I miss something as well? Like, did I miss a chapter? I felt completely lost and I had kind of that Haikyuu effect that we talked about where I just like wanted to get through this. Yep. Yeah, uh, near the end where I was like, oh, it's Gojo Sensei, and they're doing a flashback. It just, it came out of nowhere. Like, there wasn't even a hint of it at the end of the last chapter. Like, if they had hinted at, oh, we're going to do a flashback, or like, Gojo's thinking about back in the day kind of thing, or something to do with maybe we're going to flashback into the past, and then we go in there, cool. But this was literally out of nowhere. Hey, flashback, which had some interesting stuff in it, like we see Gojo being different than he currently is, so... That's why it went a little higher for me, but it was definitely complete, uh, okay, I guess we're in a flashback episode now, for no reason. What do you have at 16, Kevin? I have double Taisei at 16. Me too. I also kind of had that Haikyuu thing where it's double Taisei, where, which I, where I just didn't care. Nope. But it got me a little bit at the end. I, just a little bit. Kind of. Not, not like, oh man, the next chapter is going to be good. Yeah. But it was at least like, okay, I understand what you were trying to do with this chapter. 
I get it, but I just I the say and tie relationship is just coming off as very weird and not well done to yeah. me. Because it's like, oh no, he's being cold and distant, except he's actually super excited, but now he's being arrogant, like, ha, I'm a better shogi player. It's like, but like you literally were talking about how you never figured out how he beat you that one game. So and that was like you had five years to work on that game. Like, what do you mean you're a better shogi player? Kind of thing. Like he quit and can still beat you. I'm I'm just I'm very confused. Yeah, and like I said, I got the point by the end, and there's some nice stuff here, but the story's moving so slowly, and I just don't care about any of these people. Yeah, and again, it's like, all right, so he won in this match, and he's still going on, and we have no, like, there's a tournament structure, but we don't know what the tournament is like, so it's like, so is he just playing, you just have to win an X number of games against a grand match, or, you know, some, a Don-ranked Like, is it a round-robin tournament? Is it? Yeah. Like, is we, it, like, more like a league and is it something that is like more widely understood in Japan, like how the shogi thing works? So we're just we're confused because we don't know what the rules of the tournament structure is, or is it something of just like hey, he just kind of seems to be going through the motions of like yeah, there's this shogi thing happening, but it's not really important. Yeah, what do you have at fifteen? At fifteen, I have Jujutsu Kaisen. Ah, gotcha. So like a lot of the same problems I assume, but you it clicked for you in the end because I understood what the flashback was about, and I was like. Uh, really, it was just the, oh, it's kind of interesting to see how Gojo Sensei is when he was younger, how he was kind of this like impatient brat and he kind of like calmed down. So, at number 15, I have Haikyuu. It still has a lot of the Haikyuu problems where I just want it to be over and I kind of gloss over stuff. But I did actually really like some of the art in it, especially the last page. There's like a target metaphor. Yep. And I really appreciated that. And it just put it above some stuff where I just thought the art was like really bad. Yeah. And I'm just not a fan of the art style. So my number 14 was Beast Children. Mine too. Because it's a chapter of Beast Children. Things happen. I had some more specific criticisms of it, and I like it more than you, and that's probably why I wouldn't put it lower. Uh, Specifically when he catches the ball, like it just, the action got real hard for me to read. Like he slips a tackle, but again, it was just really hard for me to tell that was what happened. It looked like, because it was like he slips a tackle, but we didn't actually see him doing it. It was kind of like the guy remarking, oh, I didn't get him. Yeah, and also, there's a bit where there are a bunch of speed lines around him, but that way their speed lines are drawn, it just looks like a field of grass that he's flat on his back on. Yeah. I just found it real, like, like I said, unclear, and then it does a thing I don't like in sports anime or manga that's kind of necessary, especially for, like, audience members who don't understand the sport, where one of the characters is like, please explain this sport to me. Yeah, but, like, I don't know the rules of rugby, so... Gotcha. And like I said, it's necessary. It just yeah, you're using a lot of space for that in the manga. You which, are, which you but you can do in like three sentences in an anime. Yeah, and it it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel forced as well because it's the guy literally being like, I actually like I know my friend really likes rugby, but I have no idea what's going on. And so we have the person who's really into it is like, oh, I'd love to explain to you the rules. What do you have in number thirteen? At thirteen, I have Yui Kamio. I'm still, I'm slowly getting more interested in it, but this just, this weird shift in style has just thrown me for a loop. So. Yeah, it is very strange. I have to admit that. At number 13, I have Tokyo Shinobi Squad. Okay. Like, I didn't like it. Everything above Tokyo Shinobi Squad is stuff I liked, and everything below is not so much. Gotcha. But Tokyo Shinobi Squad didn't do anything I really hated, I guess is the only thing this week. Oh, like, it's more that my expectations are so low for it that they were exceeded. Yeah. If I'm being 100% honest. Yep. So my number 12 was Hell's Paradise. 
This is kind of a weird chapter. I, I really need to get caught up on Hell's Paradise. I know I keep saying that every week, and I just don't, and that's going to happen probably for another month. But the thing that I really liked about it was the kind of like, all right, we're getting into the end game cliffhanger. I uh, really liked Hell's Paradise this week, actually. I put it quite a bit higher than you. Yeah. Um, and I like those elements, too. This was like a chapter where it all seemed to click for me in a lot of ways. Gotcha. And it's not the first chapter of Hell's Paradise to do that. But when you layer on top of that, like, as I was reading, I was kind of be like, huh, is this story getting ready to wrap up to the end? Or, like, is it going to continue on the mainland in a weird way? And so, like, the fact that it concludes with even the characters observing that, I yeah. felt was actually pretty strong. Yeah. And I did, like, so essentially the final panel is the main character ninja guy being like, we escape tonight. Yeah. So, of course, it's going to take 200 chapters to go through night, that night. Five. But we are like, all right, we're in the end game. So yeah. however long it takes, we're in the end game. Yeah. My number 12 is Dr. Stone. It's the first thing in the manga this week. And like I said, the first two chapters I read this in Demon Slayer, yeah. I realized it was in a real bad mood for. So I, it just kind of ended up here, if I'm being 100% honest. I'm it's not my, super comfortable with where I ranked it in Demon Slayer. It's my number 11. It was an okay chapter of Dr. Stone, but it was like, all right, so I made, an ear, I made a crystal radio earpiece that's super technology that's like, Oh, well, doesn't that need battery power? No. Well, won't we need to tune it? No. Well, won't we need to do this? No. It's like magic. Also, we're going to build a drone. Yes. It's like, <laughs> that was the chapter. And the two-page color spread was kind of cool. It's all the characters breaking through a rock to, like, see the new horizon kind of thing. So it was like, that was that was pretty cool, but not super amazing. This chapter, it's not last chapter, has the stuff with the, like, fighty guy who was like, Kohaku, you are clearly, like, scheming something. We should kung fu fight, or maybe I mean sex. Or both. Yes. Kung fu sex. I went, I like that bit, actually. Yeah. Like, it was, so, it just, I, it's falling a little bit back into the road of like, yeah, it's chapter Dr. Stone, it's okay. Yeah. It's yeah. just middle of the road. That You said it was your, I'm sorry, your 11? It was my 11, yeah. Uh, my 11's Demon Slayer. Again, I'm not super comfortable with where I put it in Dr. Stone, but it was a, just a beat chapter, and it left me really cold, which I think is more my fault than it's, but... Yeah, it was my number 10, and it's it's just that beat chapter of, like, setting up the fight, so not a whole lot happens. It's like, all right, these two are going to be fighting Upper Moon 4. This person that I don't know who it is because it looks exactly like Inosuke is going to be fighting Upper Moon 1. And Anosuke and Tanjiro are getting together to also fight one of the upper moons or Muzan. They're probably going to end up fighting Muzan because the upper moons are going to get defeated. But they're like, all right, we've <laughs> got to rest and recuperate. I had Samurai 8 at number 10. And I feel like I said pretty much my piece on that. I didn't super love it. I was going to put it lower, but I actually did really appreciate that like beginning and ending bookmark thing in conjunction with that being part of the text. Yeah, I liked it quite a bit more. I didn't get that Sundari vibe off of and I got it more like she was just being haughty to Hachimaro because he was a dickbag to her. Yeah. So that's why I probably liked it a little bit more. My number nine was Chainsaw Man. I'm trying to remember what happens in this Chainsaw Man. It's I, really... I almost called Chainsaw Man as the one I wanted to talk about. I really debated between it and you, Ethan, you Yeah. Like, it's the chapter where we have the girl who went on the mission with them previous and is like, let's let him eat Denji. Shows up and saves Denji. Yes. And her partner, like, we've in a flashback. It's a, it is a little muddy, and that's part of why I didn't call it, but I actually really liked it. We found out her partner basically saved her from the shooters. Yeah. But I 
I think I guess the the real thing is the weird dichotomy of like so when she was trapped in the demon, she was like it was kind of shown that she was like this scrub who couldn't handle it. And here she has magic knife powers. She has magic knife powers and defeats the snake demon that's like way stronger than the demon they were fighting earlier. So it was just very weird of like, where did this come from? I agree with you, but for whatever reason, I took that as intentional and I'm like, I want to find out these questions more than I get I it. have the uncharitable reading. And I assume she made a pact with another demon. It's totally as, possible, devil, but I guess. it hasn't been that long is the big thing. It's like, it seems like a very big character shift to essentially happen in like two days. And that's been the problem with this entire arc of Chainsaw Man, right? If we're be- like, yeah, Captain Eyepatch is suddenly dead, Aki's bleeding out on the floor. But at the same time, I just took it as the anime thing since we see flashback to her partner dying, that she's getting more serious, even though she says, after today, I am fucking quitting. Yeah. Like I said, I just took it as like the anime thing of, of course, she's stronger. She just survived a tragedy. Yeah. And that makes sense. And then at the end, we have Makima talking with one of the dudes in the special division who was like, yeah, so the gun devil attacked all of our special division agents. A bunch of them are dead, but not everyone is. So we're all merging them under essentially your command. By the way, I'm quitting. Yeah. And she just has this really like weird stare at him. And at first I thought her eyes were literally like hypnotic symbols. It was just a trick of the... When I was looking at it, I was like, wait, are her eyes being weird? No, they're just her always very weird, intense stare. Yeah. And I do like that he's like, this was all you, your plan all along, right? And she's like, like, no, what are you talking about? I think her exact words is, I can't share that with a civilian. Yes, that, that <laughs> is it, because he quits. So she's like, I can't share internal matters with a civilian. And then the two people w- that are with her are like, yeah, so we're just escorting you until this thing happens. And then we're going back to our divisions. And she's like, really? Are you sure about that? Yeah. So I am interested to see what's going on with Makima. Me too. Which is always like the most interesting thing about Chainsaw Man, at least to me. Yep. Uh, so I put it quite a bit higher than you did. Uh, we're at number nine, right? Yes. That's where I put Yui Kimio. Gotcha. And again, we talked about that quite a bit. I don't know. I The horror stuff was interesting to me, and I'm interested to see where this goes. Um, I don't know. Yui Kimio has always been a weird series to me. Yep. So. My number eight was Black Clover because of that sort of shonen friendship magic. And that's really why it went up there. Oh, uh, yeah, my number eight is Hell's Paradise. And again, I think we talked about mm-hmm. why I like that one more than you already. My number seven was One Piece. Hey, mine too, actually. Yeah, uh, it, just... it was a good chapter of One Piece, but just not a whole lot happened. It's like kind of setting up for, I did like the bit at the end. I got the Watchmen vibe with yes, Rorschach. I, al- I had like... almost exactly that comparison, too. Yeah, I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. Like, yeah. Ah, good. We closed down the prison. He was like, all right, cool. That means you're all stuck in here with me. Yeah. But I just, like, that's part of the reason at the start I said it was a pretty good chapter of Shonen Jump. Because I've talked before about how if One Piece is number one, that's kind of almost where it goes by default for me. And mm-hmm. that's a little disappointing. So that I got pushed down so far is a nice sign, I think. Yeah. For me, I think it was really the reason that I was kind of like, eh, at the beginning was even though the stuff above One Piece I really liked, the stuff below One Piece I wasn't as huge of a fan of. So it felt like it was like the top half was good, and then there's a really big break after One Piece. Like, especially One Piece and Black Clover. Really, I liked the one bit in Black Clover, and, like, that was it. Gotcha. Um, whereas, like, everything above Tokyo Shinobi Squad I liked pretty fairly. Yeah, I, I, I still liked the I still liked this stuff. I felt like there was just more of a gap in the middle of my manga rankings. So my number six was Act Age. Mine too, actually. <laughs> yeah, it is a good chapter. I don't have much more to say about it. Me either. So I, I liked it. I'm interested to see what Kay is going to do and 
the rest of the story. I'm liking it a lot more, and I'm glad that I called it as one of the things to read. Yeah, me too. So my number five was Samurai 8, because I, like I said, I liked it a little bit more than you. I liked I liked the Anne, the bubbling soup. I, I still had the disgusting slop of, it wasn't like it was necessarily disgusting looking. It was just kind of like, I made food. Well, this is just like some weird soup. I think part of my problem is it comes right after his master being like, I have this magic nutrition drink. Yeah. And it doesn't seem appreciably different than that. And maybe that's what Hachimaru was kind of mentioning. He was like, look, I have this magic nutrition drink that gives you everything you need. Oh, don't worry. I can cook here. Th- this is the same thing. Except for all three of them, even the cat are like, seem like disappointed by it. And the cat's blind. <laughs> no, the cat's totally fine with it. He has no reaction because he's blind and starts eating and is like, oh, I don't know what you guys are talking about. This is pretty good. My number five is Chainsaw Man. And again, we just talked about that. Yeah. So. so my number four was Food Wars. I did really like this chapter of Food Wars, but I liked the stuff above it more. And since I didn't have a crappy week and I'm not a huge Food Wars fanboy, it will probably go lower than where you put it. Yeah, almost for sure. I mean, I know it did because my number four is The Promised Neverland. My top four were pretty hard to rank. Yeah. I had real like struggle where to place each of these. Like I said, Promised Neverland ended up on the bottom because I didn't like the first bit of it. Gotcha. Even though I really liked the, the ending bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my number three was We Never Learn. I really liked this conclusion to the story. And I really liked, I honestly really liked Agata at the end being like, do you like yourself? No, it's more like love, but it's like her looking at Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. And her realizing like, nope, I also love him. So Yu-Gi-Oh is going to land that harem ending. I mean, they all have to be cool with that, but I guess they are all friends. So. Yes. And you, but it's like Yu-Gi is the character who's not realizing that he's playing the dating sim game and is going to get the harem ending kind of by default <laughs> by not. The reason he's getting the harem ending is he's not picking anybody. So they're all kind of like, but I really want to be with you. Yeah. My number three is The Last Sayuki. Again, actually kind of the opposite of Promise Neverland. I really liked the beginning of the chapter, uh, but I thought the ending was a bit a little weaker than usual. Mm. Didn't hate it or anything. And also, it's the end of an arc. It's a slow bit. So Yeah. My number two is The Promise Neverland, because I really liked... I really liked the chapter. I didn't have as much of a hard problem with the beginning as you did. I was like, oh, they're kind of introducing these characters that are going to be part of the invasion, probably... And I really liked the guy that was like, oh, I really like that Gielin or Greelin, whatever the demon's name is, like, guy, I can't believe he turned out to be a wildling. And he's going to kind of like realize like, oh, our society is screwed. And maybe not maybe we need to be killed, but it's like, oh, maybe I need to team up with the soul blooded or cold blooded, whatever the weird demons are. On number two, I put Food Wars. It was, like I said, basically exactly what I wanted. So and wow. at a time I needed it. So. I thought it was yeah. going to be your number one. Hey, depression is funny, Kevin. Yep. Yeah, so my number one is The Last Sayuki. I just, I really liked that bit with Fruka kind of being, having it, that internal monologue and going through the like, I've been bonding with this person. It's like, nope, I do not have emotions. I, I do not love this person. She is not my, she is not my daughter. Yeah, it's a really good page. I yeah. can't fault you for putting there. It definitely made me have like really strong feelings but not as strong as we never learned which is what i put at number one yeah because again i was in a pretty bad place this week and also this is a story i didn't super love throughout and i'm not really an ogata guy either but the ending like really landed for me Mm -hmm. and i really appreciated that and really the fumino bit with the essay like that's just really powerful to me too yeah so it ended up at number one but it was hard between my top four 
So Yeah, they were all very good. And I guess with that, we will get into Yu-Gi-Oh, which we were late with this week, after the break. All right, so we read Yu-Gi-Oh, another series that I was a fan of, the anime. Were you a Yu-Gi-Oh guy, Kevin, or was that too early anime for you? No, I watched Yu-Gi-Oh. And again, another series that started very differently from what the anime adaptation was, or rather from where it was when the anime adaptation started. Yep. Because it starts out being about games in general and has a real Twilight Zone vibe. Yes. But by the end, it's all about Magic the Gathering. I mean, Yu-Gi-Oh. Yes. Or Duel Monsters, specifically, I guess. Is what the it's time to duel. Yes, it is. But these early chapters, Duel Monsters isn't even mentioned. Nope. It's all about Yugimoto building this cool puzzle because he wants friends. Well, it's because he likes games and puzzles. Well, that's true, but he also believes it will grant his wish. Yes, to have friends. friendship. Yep. Because this is shown in manga. Also, the school in this manga is like worse than the one in Yu Yu Hakusho. Like, the one in Yu Yu Hakusho has a bit of a gang violence problem it's trying to get a handle on. Yes. This is, like, utter lawlessness. Yep. There's a bit in the middle where Anzu, who is Teya, if you're familiar with the English anime dub, gets a after-school job, and she's worried that the school will find out and she will get in trouble. When this school has, like, bullies straight-up battering, ramming people's school festival displays down with no repercussions. Yep. And the hall monitor is a bully who is extorting Yugi for 200,000 yen. Which is like a couple thousand dollars. $1,600. More than a high school student yes. can reasonably have. Although his grandpa does just flip slip him the money. Well, and it sounded like Joey also pitched in a little bit. Maybe. Well, he told... Maybe. I can actually see that interpretation. The way okay. I read it was that Joey brought back the puzzle piece and some money to be like, Hey, I know you're being extorted. Yeah, I can definitely see that reading. I just read it as Joey told his grandpa, and his grandpa was like, here's the money. Yep. Which is bad grandpaing. Yes. Don't say he should give in. Say he should use his magic puzzle powers to get Dark Twilight Zone revenge. Well, he wasn't aware that he had magic puzzle powers at that point. That's true. A, w- a weird thing, if you're familiar with the anime character designs, and I don't know if the manga gets closer to them, but they look a lot more normal with the exception of Yugi. And like, really... J- Really, the only reason Yugi looks weird is his hair. Yeah. And the fact that he's short. But but just the way it looks, like, Joey's hair is really flat in a way. Yes. That it looks like all the anime started in Yugi's hair. And, like, somehow his hair in the manga's first chapter is more anime than Yugi's hair in the anime. Yes. Which is the most bullshit anime hair I've ever seen. And it's like, through their friendship, Joey slowly absorbed some of the anime out of Yugi's hair over time. Yes. And also, Tristan was unimportant from the beginning. Yep. He gets kind of a chapter devoted to himself and he sort of becomes friends with Yugi later, but he like he's a bully at the start and then he vanishes for like half the volume. It's clearly Joey's friend in the first chapter. Yeah. And then he's gone into the last chapter. Yep. So like we said, it's a really Twilight Zoney thing. I kinda wonder if this guy was a big fan of Joe Schuster. I'm sure he wasn't. If you don't know, he's the creator of Superman. Mm. Uh, but also he created a character called the Spectre. Who is now like DC's big, like, if we need like a big thing to happen, the Spectre will show up. 
but he started as like a Twilight Zony character to get around the comics code. Gotcha. So he would ironically punish people. He would like turn criminals into candle and then burn them down. This comics code doesn't say you can't light a candle and let it melt all the way down. Yep. Just says you can't kill a dude. And there's a lot of that vibe in here. Yep. With Yugi playing these weird, demented games with people, and usually just punishing them for cheating rather than beating them through any clever wit of his own. And that's... So the first punishment game, or the first game that Yugi plays is... So he it's when he's getting extorted by the hall monitor guy. And he's like, hey, instead of 200000 I brought 400000 So how about you play a game and you get all of the money? And it's using the other guy's greed against them. And it's like, we're playing a shadow game. And it's like, all right, you put the stack of bills on your hand and you stab with the knife that you brought and whatever bills you pick up, you get to keep. But the thing is, like, if you stab too hard, you'll stab your hand. And if you don't stab hard enough, you like I'll get more of the money kind of thing. And so it's the guy's greed kind of like literally takes over his arm where he's like, I, I can't stop my arm from trying to stab to get all the money. But I can stab you instead. Oh, no, I'm punished. Yeah. And then he gets punished because he was like, you're not allowed to do anything but stab. So you get to play a punishment game. And I like that aspect of it where it was like, we're playing a game that's kind of rigged in my favor because you are going to, not only am I good at games, but I'm going to, I propose a game that uses your flaw against you. And because it's a shadow game, it kind of like literally comes out that your greed is going to damage you. And some of the later ones, it's like, we're going to play a game, but not really a game at all. Like the guy with the lighter, he's like, we're only allowed to move one finger. And then he just like walks away and leaves making a finger gun at him like you moved more than one of your fingers like yeah. you broke your own rules yeah exactly and also the way yugi wins that game is like the guy he plays this game with has a gun he's like well i pick my index finger that i have on my gun obviously yep and yugi's like oh i'll pick my thumb and he's got a lighter because he was gonna light a cigarette for this guy yeah but then like he puts the lighter on the guy's hand that's pouring booze which like i get what the idea is but how does he magically let go of that lighter without moving his fingers and like you said then he just does the finger gun thing he does the finger gun thing he leaves and then the guy's like oh no i can't move why <laughs> you didn't there were no stakes there were stakes in the other like the first well, the, game the stake was you'll lose your life but again like yugi is just breaking the rules of the game so at that point the other guy should be able to as well right well but he it, gets it in his head that he can't for whatever reason when literally everyone else has well and that was more confusing and like so when the first game Yugi was like, all right, I'm going to entice you with $400,000 and use your greed against you. And it's like, all right, cool. So he like tricked him into the game. Then he tricks the other guys into the game. This one, he's like, let's propose a game. We're betting our lives. And the guy's like, what? You're insane. Why? Why? You know, we know that he has weird magic shadow powers and can actually enforce the rules of his game, even though he can break them whenever he wants. So he just gets to be Superman. But it's like, why would the guy believe that? Like. And what incentive was there for the guy to play? He's like, we're betting our lives. I'm, I'm literally pointing a gun at you. You can't do anything anyway. And the way I took it, he's, he's basically like, okay, that like I'll go along with this because if I decide I don't want to, I can just shoot you. But like, bare minimum, he could have just... I mean, I understand that like he's like, you can't shoot the gun because the knockback will like knock the lighter off. Yeah. But again, like you said, just move, clearly Yugi is breaking the rules. So yes, that... I was very frustrated with that chapter. It was really it was really that chapter where I was like, the game started going downhill where they had that cool thing, the first one did, and then the second one was a little bit more vague, the third one was even more vague, that one was just like, Yugi just literally was like, I'm going to assassinate you with the pretense of using a game to do it. Yeah. Like, you, you hurt Taya, therefore you die. And I don't even mind that if it had been more explicit, 
It just seems like it was poorly written, though. Yes. And like I said, the the first one where the games have any like stakes at all, where it doesn't seem like Yugi has just prearranged everything perfectly, is the school festival one, where they're basically playing ice hockey, or not ice hockey, air hockey. Yep. With on a grill with this piece of ice that's got a bomb in it. Yeah. He's essentially it's a test tube full of explosives. Yeah. And Yugi's like, oh no, I didn't realize this guy would be good at air hockey. Yeah. And it seems like the stakes have been suddenly introduced just so there can be stakes. Yeah, because the other two games previous were essentially just punishment. It was like Yugi set up, all right, I'm setting up a game that you're going to fail because of your flaw. The first guy was greedy. The second guy was manipulative, like all this kind of stuff. So like, because of your flaw, I'm going to entice you into a game with something that you want, but you're going to lose because of the person you are. And then the third one was just kind of like, oh, crap, I didn't realize this guy was also strong. Well, he was, <laughs> it was li- him and his team were lifting a 600-pound grill around. And battering ramming you with it. Battering ramming? Yes. yes. And then the last chapter, like, I'm not even sure what he did. I mean, I know because the manga tells you in words that he got rid of all the makeup she was wearing, but also she just looked like kind of an evil anime hot babe instead of a regular, regular hot... anime hot babe. Yep. Yeah, it it would have been better if she looked like an evil old hag. Yeah, or like you do some sort of cartooning there. Yeah, but literally it was like she got slightly more drawn cheekbones, and that's really it. It's like, okay, oh, so no. she just kind of looks angry as opposed to... Like, she's still angry hot as opposed to regular hot. Yeah. The horror. Yeah. I, that's literally what my notes say. Yep. So, yeah, I was kind of disappointed in this. I remember liking even the earlier Yu-Gi-Oh stuff better in a, like, weird Twilight Zone way. And, like, there's some of those ideas here, but... Yeah, well, the first chapter was fine. It just it, I felt like he started breaking his own rules, and I think that's what really bothers me. Like, I don't care what rules you set up for your power system or your magic system or whatever, as long as you don't constantly break your rules. Or if you do, you make it a big deal. Whereas this one, it's just like, it seems like he just got lazy and he's like, I just want to make punishments for people. It's just funny that you say that to me because thinking of Duel Monsters, the card game, as he writes it, it's very much just about pulling bullshit new cards out all the time, which I don't mind as much. But again, comparing this to Yui Kamiyo, it's very easy to see to me why an editor might say, hey, you need to change the way this works. Yeah, but even with uh, pulling out cards that nobody has seen before, that's still somewhat in the realm of... It's still a card game. That's it's how still card a card game. Yeah. Number one rule is card-specific r- effects trump the rules yeah. every time. So it's like it's not like, all right, so we're getting into the Yu-Gi-Oh! duel, and then Pegasus just shoots one of the dudes, and it's like, I win! That does sound like a thing that would happen in Yu-Gi-Oh, actually. Yeah. But. Let's get into a card game, uh, you know, for the sake of your soul. Bam. I win. Ha ha. And that's the thing. Yugi's there to punish. But then he seems like he's allowed to do it, too. Because in the first ones, he's like, let's do a game. And if you lose, you have to go through a punishment game. And the punishment game is him literally just punishing the dude. Yeah. And it's like, that's the loss condition. Cool. When he sets that dude on fire, he doesn't even set it up. He's just like, we're in a punishment game. So you can just do that? You can just punish people? What is the point of setting up the stupid pretense of the game that you rigged in your favor anyway? And we haven't even talked about one of the basic premise pieces, which is that when Yugi's doing this, he's not aware of his actions. He yep. is drawn differently. Yep. He's drawn like much more confident and a little taller. His voice sounds different just because of the confidence, I think. Yes. But it does mention that. And like he's like this avenging ghost almost. That And 
when he wakes up, he does not remember what he's done. Yep. He turns into the Pharaoh without us. No, like they don't mention that he's the Pharaoh. Yeah. And I assume the ancient Egypt stuff's already in play. Yes. So I assume that the writer knows what's going on here, or at least a version. Yeah. He at least had an idea. And it's an intentional mystery. Yep. But yeah, I just found it, like I said, pretty disappointing. There's not a good cliffhanger at the end of the volume. Not really. And I just want to get to the, well, I was going to say the dual monster stuff. Really, it's Seto Kaiba I want to get to. Yeah. But that is where dual monsters also starts. Yes. So. Because I don't think the characters here are very strong. No, not not really. I, I liked the, I liked beginning Yugi where he had made the puzzle and he was that avenging angel kind of thing. And it's like, I'm going to set up this punishment. I'm going to set up this game that's going to use your flaw against you. Then I'm going to punish you for being an asshat to either me or one of my friends. It's like, all right, cool. That's a, you know, it's kind of like a righteousness. I get to turn your flaw against you to punish you. But eventually it was like with that last guy who was like an escaped prisoner. It was like, I'm just going to set you on fire because you hurt Taya. What, why did we need the pretense of doing a game? I'm going to just set him on fire. Also, there's the karaoke dude who I don't know if you felt this way, but I felt very much like his crimes are much, much more minor than everybody else's. Like, yes. Yes, this guy is an asshole. But, like, you have forgiven people who have, like, beat the crap out of you yeah. because of your friendship. I, he, it was extortion, stuff. I guess. Yeah, I guess. But still, it was very, like, and he was essentially going to be like, you will get people to listen to my songs or I will beat the shit out of you again. Yeah. Or to the point of death, I will kill you with my amazing voice. It just, like, that whole character seemed very weird to me. Yeah. That might be my least favorite story in the volume. Because at least the prisoner won. Like, the stakes make sense. Like, I understand why in his head that was good, but it did not execute well. No. Anything else you want to say about Yu-Gi-Oh? Not really. I'm just like you. I'm waiting for Seto and the start of Duel Monsters. All right. Then, while we've just said the characters are a little weak, that brings us to personality power level. Vegeta, what does the scouter say about his power level? So personality power level is the segment where we rank manga characters from best to worst. At the top is Uzumaki Naruto, who has only a little bit of anime hair. At the bottom is that guy who's not Yamcha from that time I got reincarnated as Yamcha. With no anime hair. Yeah, who has his perfectly normal hair. And dead center is Asta. Who has mildly anime hair. hair. Yeah. Yeah. So before we begin, I think we have to make a decision on... Is Yugi Moto one character, or is Yugi Moto one character, and Itam slash the Pharaoh slash Yami Yugi a separate character? I think they are separate characters, because, like, they have different personalities. Yeah, that's very true. So, if we're going to rank them on the personality power level, we should rank them separately, especially because there's a whole period in time where it's just Yami that we're following. Only in the anime. That's not actually in the manga. Okay. I didn't know what you mean, but... I have only read the the first volume of the manga, so I have no idea. Yeah. So which one are we going to rank then? Yugi. Yugi? I, cause that's, that's, that makes sense to me. For the thing that I've read, the Pharaoh, like, he technically exists, but he's very undefined. All right. So Yugi's a pretty boring character, I think. Yes. Especially is, if you separate out. Yami uh, from him. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of also why I wanted to do this, like, to kind of put into perspective the fact that it's like, really, most of the time, Yugi is just there to be there and it's like nope the pharaoh's got to take over because he's cool and interesting he's got kind of saintly friendship in the early chapters where he defends joey and honda i guess tristan if we're going to go yes names for beating him up and he is kind of like no i like want them to be my friends but that fades a little as the series goes on and it's like i said it seems a little inconsistent to me 
Well, a lot of the time, Yugi isn't doing a whole lot. It's like Yugi is just kind of standing around to have something happen so that the Pharaoh can take over. He's weirdly the damsel in distress, but also there's Taya slash Anzu to be a more literal damsel in distress. Yes. And it's a weird double role. Yeah. He's definitely not as go- good as... He's never really not as Goku? Definitely not he's as good de- as Goku. He's not as Goku either, but yes, um, I agree. Where my eye is drawn is Ichigo from Bleach, who I have similar feelings about. Mm-hmm. My gut says Ichigo is better, but I couldn't really tell you why. Another problem with Yugi is I don't really think he arcs. He yeah. does a little bit by the end, but it's not like a slow, steady movement. Yeah, honestly, I feel like Pharaoh does more. Yes, definitely. Um, so, And that's why I kind of wanted to do Yugi first, because he's really the main character of at least the manga. I would agree he's not as good as Ichigo either, because Ichigo is a full character. Versus in Yu-Gi-Oh, they tend to just be like, Yugi's just kind of there as a vehicle for the Pharaoh. So he's like, the Pharaoh is essentially lazy, and he's like, I will only show up when I'm needed. Otherwise, I'm going to let Yugi like do the boring stuff, you know, like sleeping, eating, that kind of stuff. So another character that I liked when I was younger that we have pretty low here is Yo from Shaman King. Mm-hmm. What's your read on that? I feel like I know both characters better, so I'm curious what you think, given your little exposure to them. Yeah. I think I like Yo a little bit more. I think as Yo well. has a little more depth. Yeah. Like thinking on it, because I was thinking about what happens to Yo later, and he doesn't really arc either, but like you find out a little bit about his past. Yeah. And that's more interesting. Yep. Yeah. I, I would I would lean towards that too, that Yo's a little bit better. So another boring anime protagonist we have is Ryoma from Prince of Tennis. But I he's in the Goku archetype, and for whatever reason I feel like I like that archetype more than I like Yugi. Yes. I would agree with you as well. Man, we're going lower than I thought we would. I'm trying to find someone here. I think the the big thing is that we're just ranking Yugi and not Yeah, I think Yami. I agree with you, but and I have there's nothing you've said that I've been like, oh no, that's wrong. I just didn't expect to get this low. How do we think he compares to longtime bottom of the list, Haruhi Fujioka from Oran High School Host Club? I'm gonna say he's better than Haruhi because I've only read the first volume of Haruhi, so that's all our reference point, and they're literally just there to be there, which is kind of what Yugi does, but Yugi at least has that thing where he's like, I want I want friendship. And he has a sense of justice. Yes. What about you, Haruna from Fuka? Hmm. My gut says above, but I feel like I should trust yours more than mine. Yeah, I could I could put him there. I'm not I'm not huge into Fuka. I'd I'd want to read it more because I've I, mean, I've I think seen... both you and Haruhi are characters we could move up. Yeah, we read future volumes for sure. In a way that I feel like Yugi is going to be kind of damned wherever we put him. Yeah. Well, and the other big thing is I've only seen the anime of Fuka and haven't read it, and there's a, apparently a very huge difference. Gotcha. Between the two, so I think that there might be a lot more character development to go on in the manga. Or a different character development that I like more. So I'd be fine putting Yugi above. So the final question is, is he better or worse than Shinichi from Parasite? And my gut says below. They're kind of similar in similar positions that I think about it, though. Although, Shinichi, like, can talk with his, with Uh, Lefty. Yes. Well, Yugi sometimes has conversations. But not yet. Not where we've gotten yet. But yes, in the future, he will. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd be fine putting him below. All right, so Yugi Moto goes at number 31, below Shinichi, and above Yuharana. Okay, so that was not as fun as I was hoping slash expecting. So what are we going to read next week, Kevin? So next week, we are going to be reading a manga that just came to 
Shonen Jump. Uh, it's not that it just came to Shonen Jump, but it, they just added the volumes to or the chapters to the Viz app, which is JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, which I constantly stuff like meme stuff about the anime and want to watch it, but it's a lot of episodes, so I want to read it. Yeah, I think this might be the thing that gets me to actually start watching. We'll see. Yep. In the meantime, if you want to listen to our past episodes or see Personality Power Level, you can do that at www.lastpodcast.com. That's also where you'll find my other podcasts, including Last Time on Video Games, where we just did an episode on Earthbound that I'm actually very proud of. So please check that out. In the meantime, if you want to help the show, please tell a friend or give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. iTunes is gone forever. Our opening theme is Fighting Against One's Will by Midair Machine. Our closing theme is A Psychic Fist Fight by Tom W. Emmerich. Other music on the show is by Spectacular Sound Productions. And our album art is by Kate Wynn on DeviantArt. Is there anything else you'd like to plug today, Kevin? Yeah, actually. So in the new summer season of anime, we're going to be getting Is It Wrong to Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon Season 2, which I am super excited about. So I hope you all, if you enjoyed the first season, come watch that. All right. We'll see you next week. We rank all the chapters we wed. We wed? We wed. We wed all the chapters. We got a West, West and we coop, wait.